this is John Rinaldi, and here with the Digital Connectivity Podcast. In today's session, we are going to be talking to an eminent consultant and expert, and oh, he's got an incredible resume. His name is David Schultz, and we're really glad to have you. Welcome, David. Yeah, thanks, John. Thanks for inviting me on. Well, David's a great friend of mine, and he's uh, he's been to our office. We've sat around and talked about IoT for a long time, and I thought he would make some uh, great. So we could have so we could have a great conversation, and we should publish it so that other people can listen in on it. David, for people who don't know you, why don't uh, you tell you know give a little uh, history of, of of what you've been doing for the last what is it now seventy years you've been in industrial automation, <laughs> right? Uh, so just just twenty five actually. Okay. And yeah, so I've, I've been in, in uh, process control automation for about 25 years now. I started off at the device level. So I was more in that instrumentation control valve area and then con- you know, slowly journeyed my way up the technology stack, if you will, and was doing a lot more around the SCADA, MES control systems, those types of things. And then, of course, you can't be in this uh, an automation in, in 2020 without having some, um, w- without being involved in industry uh, 4.0 and IIoT. And so uh, a couple of years ago, um, after having worked for several, what I would call platform companies um, that did, that focused on those same things, um, decided that, wow, there's a huge need because there's so many, so much coming at us all at once. Companies really need help understanding what's out there what does that journey look like? Um, and because of my background within uh, reliability, that I tend to focus on those types of uh, applications as well. So it, it, that's really the whole value of what it is that I'm trying to create. Well, I think you've, you've, you've hit it on the head that there. There's, there's a whole lot coming at us in terms of technologies, cultural changes. We've got a, a you know, cultural change where the IT and OT people are being integrated at some organizations. We've got a lot of the baby boomers who've no, who've who really have all that expertise over the last 30, 40 years that are retiring. We've got new people coming in who expect that uh, just lift their cell phone and magically they can make things happen. They can get data, and so it's a it's a whole different world right now. Where where are we in 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 IoT and manufacturing? Is is what's the state of it or you know i to tell you the truth i I don't know because i have people telling me that everything is changing there's you know with with all the way to the the fact that plcs are going away and then i talk to other people who are on the ground selling sensors or you know doing projects and in on the factory floor and they say well nothing really has changed we're selling the same products and doing the same stuff how do you view that so i i think it's both um, absolutely thing is changing. I think how we're using technology is going to be different. I think how we go about delivering that technology is going to be very different. So, you know, in the past, you would have this large system. We're going to put in a SCADA system. We're going to do some kind of project. We know exactly what that looks like. And at the end of the day, we're going to have, you know, this num- this amount of IO, this number of screens, and here's how the operators are going to involve or to in. Uh, to work with that system. That, those types of things are still going to exist, but now what we're trying to do is unlock all of this data that's on the plant floor 
and that that PLC data is still going to be one piece of data that that is going to get utilized. So I guess going back to where you originally were starting off the question of where are things? Well, we're just really at the very front end of things. And I think people had this idea that somehow just as quickly as the the iPhone came out and apps got developed, that we're going to be able to do the exact same thing with manufacturing. And it's not quite that simple because there's a lot of things that have to be done from the underlying data in order to get it ready to just have your plant floor in your pocket, you know, on that cell phone. So is is this stuff going on mostly with the bigger companies, the Procter and Gambles and the DuPonts, or does it actually happen at the at the smaller manufacturing companies, I mean, who's is is there a, is there a, a digital divide in uh, in IoT? Well, I think it's both, but I think they're going about it very differently in how they're doing it. And what I'm seeing happening at some of the larger uh, Fortune 1000 companies is that they're continuing to utilize some of the automation partners that they've always always had or already have in wanting to do these digital transformations. But I think where they're getting stuck is that they do this first. Um, they do the first part of it or the, you know, the use case, proof of concept, the pilot, whatever it is, and then they get bogged down in this pilot purgatory because they're still trying to use industry 3.0 thinking in order to do that. There are smaller manufacturers that are absolutely doing it, but it does come down to picking the right technology, picking the right strategy, picking the right partners. And so they've been successful because they haven't been involved with some of the, the larger automation companies that are able to take advantage of some of the I'm going to call them the smaller players, if you will, that uh, exist within this space. And so they're actually realizing those benefits. And it's not it's not the one million dollar behemoth project that just consumes a lot of resources. You know, I've, I've heard uh, numbers from people like Cisco saying that only 24 to 20, some, you know, 20 some percent of IoT projects are successful. I've had other people from the, you know, the big Goliath companies that do all of this research projects, and they say that there's 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 not that many projects that are that are that are that roll out to scale. That it's difficult to scale these things. That that uh, tell me about that. Is this you know you you mentioned industry 3.0 technologies. So what is the difference between? So I guess I'm asking you two questions. Uh, the difference between the industry 3.0 and 3.4 technologies, and then what are some of the limitations that are that are preventing these projects from being successful? So when you're looking at industry 4.0 technology, there are four different aspects that I take a look at. It's it's an open architecture, meaning that all of my stuff plays well with each uh, with everything. It's a lightweight communication. It's a report by exception, and it's all edge-driven. And those are very different than the, the ways that Industry 3.0 systems were architected. And so some of the reason why this Industry 3.0 thinking is not working is because they still, the manufacturers want to continue to architect where I'm now making this point-to-point, where it's my PLC talks to my SCADA that then talks to my MES. It's sort of like the, you know, my leg bones connected to my thigh bone connected to my hip bone kind of thing. And that's not the way industry 4.0 technologies work. Everything should be talking amongst itself specifically that, that all of this, these layers of the stack are a node within the overall ecosystem. And so that's why um, they're, they're, these things aren't being successful. So when Cisco um, publishes that, yeah, there's a reason for that is because all of a sudden they realize there's absolutely no way I can do this exact same 
one-to-one -one connectivity across thousands of devices, it's not scalable. And that's why you're having that, that limited success. To, to, well, and that's where some of the things, some of the newer technologies, the MQTT is designed for thousands of nodes and for, or for anyway, lots of nodes in a, in a manufacturing environment. We generally don't have thousands of nodes. And some of the, so that's why you, so you need some advanced technologies. Do, do, do most of companies have the expertise they need to, to uh, implement industry 4.0 technologies and to do these kinds of projects or, or they need help and, you know, from people like you and what kind of, what kind of help can you provide? So do they have the people to do it? Um, they absolutely do. It's just getting, again, it's that right strategy and the right partners to help them do that. Certainly it's something that can be rolled in house, but it does utilize some new technologies. So you've talked about MQTT. That's really not new. Within, uh, from a technology standpoint, it's recognized OASIS standard, um, but it is new within manufacturing. So it, it's taking a 20-year-old technology that was built for getting uh, data out of oil fields in a very lightweight uh, way and then applying that in a manufacturing environment. So I really think some of the, the, first, the, the, the first piece is understanding, okay, what does MQTT mean for manufacturing? Uh, me personally, I like using the spark plug specification along with that MQTT, and then using that to move all of my data around. So using that uh, that Sparkplug B, I will create something called a unified namespace to where all of my nodes, so again, your PLC node, your HMI node, your SCADA node, Astoria node, ERP node, NES node, et cetera, et cetera, all of those are now connecting in. You're publishing the data that you want that, that should be made available in the um, unified namespace. And then I'm also consuming that data. And so now you have this one-to-many scenario instead of a one-to-one. -one. And that's the, it's the application of the technology that makes that happen. That's what you're talking about there is there's nothing that's revolutionary about that, but it's a different kind of process than we've, that we've had with Industry 3.0 and the former way of doing things. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. I mean, people are familiar with MQTT anytime you're using uh, either Facebook Messenger or Apple Messenger the little uh, three dots that are familiar to everybody that means somebody's typing, that's actually MQTT that's powering that. Mm -hmm. And it's an open technology. Now, when you, you, you described, that was the first of the four attributes of an industry 4.0 technology, I think was the fact that it was open. Now, what do you mean? Do you mean open source or what do you mean by open? It, it's an open architecture. So the, uh, the MQTT standard, that is available to you. You can download that. You can develop your own devices that utilize the MQTT protocol, and as long as well as that Sparkplug uh, specification as well. That is all available to you. So if you are a manufacturer, if you are a, a you know whether it's an OEM of the, the hardware, the equipment, that is available to anybody that wants to utilize that standard for the communication. That's what I mean by. You know, the, what's what's interesting about that to me is that we've we've had this debate for a long time about open standards, closed standards, and semi-open standards. So, for example, OPC UA, Ethernet IP are they're 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 open standards. You can go get the Ethernet IP specification and implement it. The, 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 but the places that you also are required 
to certify your device. Now, with OPC UA, there's no certification required. You can just get the standard, you could implement a device, and you could implement a, a crappy OPC UA server. So the, the problem is, is in manufacturing, is, is that I think a manufacturer wants to know when they're going to work with a partner and, and buy a drive or, or buy a temperature controller or a temperature sensor that supports one of these technologies, they want to know that this thing has been developed and actually improperly and that it, that it works properly and that, uh, and that there's, that there's going to be a, somebody some backing it up and it has been tested thoroughly. And, and we don't have that in some of these. And when we, when we just go and get an open off the shelf protocol. So I, so people are saying, well, we really want, we really want those semi closed, semi proprietary kind of standards where it's being controlled. Do, do you buy into that? Um, I don't. Um, I, the reason why I like Sparkplug B is that there are several major automation companies that now support that um, that specification. So I don't think it's something that is, well, I'm not really sure. Maybe five years ago, that was probably more the case. But in, in that amount of time, those standards have become a lot more available. And again, MQTT, Sparkplug B, that was really designed for automation that's um, in there. So, so I, I guess I still don't understand. Is e, would you consider Ethernet IP an open standard? Um, well, because now it's available to anybody. Yeah, a lot of devices will use Ethernet IP to make that. It becomes that uh, that connection layer or app uh, within your your overall technology. And so now you're putting this application on um, on top of that. So yes. But does it, does it play well with others? That's really the question you're trying to answer. The, 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 what we want to get, I think, you know, what we want to get to long term, and I think this is this is going to be long after you and I are gone, unfortunately, is where where machines can talk to one another and ask and say, "Here's what I want, and this is the kind of information I need to be configured. This is what I want to do," and they'll talk to the machines. Will get together and make those 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 kind of connections, and they will share information, and they'll just work together seamlessly without a lot of configuration. But I think we're a long way from that. And until we get there, we're going to have to we're going to have to pick some standard communications technologies, don't you think, in order to make a lot of this work well together. And I don't think we're there, are we? Um, so there's there's a certain level of that that when you plug something into the the network, that it's going to be self-aware, it's, it's going to publish that data, and that anything else that is um, part of that ecosystem is going to know exactly what just came online, what type of device it is, and it's also going to know what kind of information is available. So, for instance, if I were to uh, plug in a PLC that uses the, that publishes all of its data in a, uh, you know, using MQTT Spark Plug B, it's now going to publish all of its tags are now going to be available, and it's going to exist inside a structure that's going to say, I'm a PLC. So then when it shows up, anything else that's now looking at that, it's like, oh, look, I have some more PLC data that's available. I like PLC data. I'm going to do something with it. And so now it's going to be a consumer of that. So it's a very simple use case 
but there's those types of things are, are already coming down the line now. Well, you know what you what you what you haven't. I, I don't know. I think you, for in sake of brevity, what you probably skipped over is the the normalization there. And there's two issues there. There's the normalization of the units, and there's also naming standards and location standards and all that. In order for that to really be effective, is you have to have common naming standards so you know what the that that the motor drive has a specific tag and it's going to be called something it's going to be called by a name that implies some location it's going to have some um some data metadata associated with it that tells you that it's coming in revolutions per minute and all of that stuff and i don't see much of that other than opc ua there's almost nothing that carries that kind of context contextual data along with it so one thing I, I guess I didn't uh, speak to, so it's a great question, is that, um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Apologies. When you're building that, that I, I referred to it earlier, the unified namespace, when you're building that out, you know, it's that's not just this data connection where now I'm just telling it, okay, here's some here's some tag data, you know, go do go do something with it. That's it's providing that that data, it's providing that that single source of events, but it's also providing you the structure of your overall data or overall business utilizing a the plant model. So I tend to use an ISA ninety five or the Purdue model for doing that. So I'm gonna know this PLC is sitting out on in cell three of line two, and it's the PLC on this particular type of machine. And it does bring through a lot more of that metadata um, if you've set it up properly to publish it. So I'm going to have units I'm going to, that are going to be normalized. I know exactly what that data looks like. So if I say this is 32 GPM, that pump is 32 GPM. That's what that tag says. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's, uh, let's, let's turn to another subject that's that's I've been thinking about quite a bit lately the the influence that Amazon has had not only on the the the, the culture and everything else in the in the in outside manufacturing but let's 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 not talk about that let's talk about Amazon's influence in manufacturing now they're coming in with creating products for the factory floor they're trying to get everybody connected to their cloud do 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 do, do small manufacturers need a, a connection with an Microsoft Azure and Amazon or a Google in order to, to, to process their data and, and turn it into real actionable information? Or can they do it themselves and using other kinds of tools and stay local? Do you, where, do you, where do you fall on the stay local versus uh, remote kind of timeline there? So I think what people have assumed is this industry 4.0 is somehow I'm going to have a cloud service and I'm going to start plugging all this data into it. And then once I've done that, I'm now going to have all this really just great, insightful information that's just going to magically show up in <laughs> in my dashboard. Right. And, and that's that's just not the reality. And I think in some ways, it's you know going back to the earlier part of this conversation is why some of these things are failing is that people just aren't really appreciating how much it takes to get that nor- that data normalized and contextualized. Well, I've, I've heard I've heard that called IoT porn. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes, there's there's a lot of eye candy out there for doing it, and you know, it, a dashboard you just does it's not magical. That's that's some of this that that one to one connectivity. So 
from my standpoint, there is a tremendous amount of untapped potential that already exists on the plant floor, whether you're a small manufacturer or a big manufacturer, and you don't need to push all that data to cloud. You can absolutely just start off with some very small, start off with one piece of equipment, get it architected properly, getting that data all there to where every piece of information, anything that's there that, that it is, is utilized is now available to anything else. So get that structure built in so you can start doing it. And a lot of that is just local resources. And so was, they, they, they're going to so save 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 some data to a database, or is it, or is, is this some things that you do with post processing? Are you going to, or is this kinds of things that you would do uh, in real time? What kind of what, kind, what are you what are you talking about, David? Well, it's both. So it's getting all that information available in real time. That's that's the beauty of the MQTT is because it now has the, all of that data that's it's in real time. I just published my last value. So if I'm subscribing to it, I get that last value of data. There's also going to be a database, like say a data historian. Well, that's going to be a subscriber to that database or to that that um, that broker, and that's what the unified namespace allows for you. Is that now it all comes back, and I can historize that data and then start using that for say some basic trending. That's all going to take place uh, locally as well. And then so now you started off with just that one piece of equipment and you now expand that to that that line, if you will, to where now you have all that line equipment um, that's there. But yeah, you can historize it. You have it available real time. You can make dashboards from it. You can create alerts and alarming from it. It's there, there's a lot of things that can be done with it. So do you need do you need more than Microsoft Excel? Can you just you know take have the database you know, move data into Microsoft Excel in some fashion and then you know Excel has a lot of basic functionality that I think you could use to to analyze your data isn't that true? Well yeah so Microsoft Excel is the world's number one reporting tool and it's not because it's you know better at doing data analysis it's just that's because that's what people know. And interestingly enough, when we start talking about process historians, almost every one of them has an Excel add-in. Why? So people can take that historical data, bring it into Excel, and they can start manipulating it. But there's a lot of those historian client tools that are available. You can use those much like um, Excel, but you can get a lot more rich data out of that that you just can't do. And it's just it's because it's out of the box, design, fit, form, and function. So, so do we? We don't really need any fancy analytics package, I guess, is what you're telling me. No, not at all. So, Anna, so there is a whole process for how you want to do it, or how you want to do your digital transformation. A lot of that machine learning, AI analytics, you know, wherever you want to throw it, that occurs later on in the process. You've got to start from the basics. What's the information we want? How are we going to utilize that? And then, what's that going to mean for our overall business and making those decisions and then i think i think you've just laid out a, a good scenario there so what do we you know i guess the first question for anyone to ask is what do we want to accomplish what do where do we think we can we can learn something that's going to add value or we can actually improve the, our process is, is that right yeah, it, it is. I mean, it, it's always I, I want to have a definition of what's the problem we're trying to solve. Let's just not do a, a 40 
effort just for the sake of doing it. It's what, what do we think is there? Sometimes that's a very hard question to answer because we just don't know, which is why I say start with something small. Just unlock a few pieces of data and see what that tells you. I, uh, I was visiting a, a, a company that shall remain nameless here, but I went there and they said, John, we've just, been, we've just got our product we're, we're IoT enabled and it's, we're putting data up into the cloud. And he says to me, so... What do you think we should do with that data? How do you think we can make any money off of it? I said, well, that's the first, that's the question you should have asked to start with. Yeah, they got their cart for the horse a little. Yeah, he uh, he went on to say that, well, you know, there was one of the those big consulting firms was talking to the board of directors and the edict came down through the through them from the board to the president to the to the vice president of engineering and down to me. And they said, we got to put data in the cloud because there's four trillion dollars of data of, of value in, in, in getting data in the cloud. So. Here we are. We, you know, I, I think one of the problems today, David, is that we've got we've got all these the tools that make it so simple. Amazon and, of course, Microsoft make things so simple because they'll just grab. There's so many ways you can send your data to the cloud that it's easy and people and 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 it doesn't cost a whole lot on the front end. The back end is another story, but it doesn't cost so much on the front end. So we just start sending data to the cloud without really sitting down to think about why we're doing that mm-hmm. if it was if it was more expensive it's like sending emails if if, if, if sending an email cost a dollar we would all send a lot fewer emails mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and and if if, if sending if sending data to the cloud cost real money right away people would be would think through it first about whether they should or not so um you know that that's good. Where do you think we're going to be in? And you know, get, tell me your crystal ball. Where are we going to be in five years? Are things going to be radically different five years from now than they are today? Uh, absolutely, they are. And I think you're going to see some of the the, the companies that were the industry 3.0 leaders. I think we're going to start having some industry 4.0 leaders, and there there may even be companies that we haven't heard of that are going to be, wow, that's the latest and greatest thing. You've got to go have this. This is the this is the key to your success. Um, so from now, I think you're going to see a lot more real-time data that's going to be available. I think you're going to have a lot more connectivity and devices that are, that are plugged in. I think you're going to have, uh, and even just the skill sets of the people that are down on your plant floor, it's going to be dramatically improved. So you were talking earlier about some of the people that are retiring out of the market. I think that new group of people coming in, I, I think you're going to see just a very different usage of, of that data on how we're going about doing that manufacturing. And you're going to see a lot of really great ideas coming um, from that, that new group as well. So, so oh, that's, that's interesting. So what about the guy who's uh, been in, in manufacturing for the last 25 to 30 years? He's been a control engineer and there's this new era coming out. What is there anything that he should do? Uh, mostly, and I'll say he because it's mostly men or you know, 99% of them. Uh, what should he do in order to prepare himself and be able to use industry 4.0 technologies? What does he have to learn? Where does he go? What kind of resources are available to a person like that who wants to, 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 to update their skill set? Yeah, so for me personally, it's just learning what some of these, say, programming language looks like. So it's it's understanding, okay, where's Python? What's Python got used for? How do I take advantage of, say, Python? 
um, within it. So again, that's that's a programming language uh, that that people can take advantage of, or it's understanding. Okay, I've heard this MQTT. What is that? You know, understanding what it what is an MQTT broker? What is that payload structure? Uh, it, it's paying attention to those types of things. Um, you know, it's. And I guess it, it, what I was thinking when you started asking the question, and I'm going to deviate and come back, is that when I was growing up, I learned how to type. And that was sort of that skill set that, that created a, a fundamental difference. And then now my, you know, my kids' generation, all of them, you know, all, they, they all know how to type. But what they all learn is you got to know how to program. And so it's taking a look at what are the kids that are coming out of, the co- you know, out of college right now what are some of the skill sets that they have in order to be successful in what's going to become industry 4.0 and then paying attention to that. And I think that's going to be fundamentally one of them um, is just, again, that, that ability to program. And then you're also just going to have to be familiar with um, just how you go about the, the way you think about how we do industry 4.0. And again, it's not it's just the one-to-one connection. Um, so I would say those are some of the skill sets you'd have to have. Well, that's that's all that's all wonderful. Here we're kind of getting to the uh, the end of our of our time. So, David, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and talk more about maybe an IoT project or learn more about the the kinds of services that you have, where can they where can they find you? Yeah, so I'm on LinkedIn. Um, it's just David Schultz. I'm in the Milwaukee area. Uh, the company is G5 Consulting. So you can go to the website uh, G5 CES. Um, that's so. Uh, G is the number five and then consulting engineering services uh, dot com. And of course, um, you know, phone number is 262-771-0123. Thank you very much. So this is John Rinaldi. We've been uh, talking to David Schultz. Thank you very much, David, for the time. It's been, been a pleasure talking to you as it always is. Yeah, likewise. So, and I just like to remind folks that are listening that real-time automation, we have a uh, digital tech, digital software toolkit for helping people with moving data and doing the kinds of things that David and I were talking about today. And you're welcome to go to our website, rtautomation.com, or actually you can even uh, email me at jrinaldi at rtautomation.com. So thank you very much. You have a great day. We'll talk to you next time.